Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Marin, if you want to come up, I'm going to get our seats ready. I'm really excited you're here today. We can get excited about a lot of things in the world, but there's few as exciting as seeing someone's testimony. So my friend Marin and I are going to talk through his testimony, and uh, I don't even want to ruin it. I'm just going to let him share as much as possible. The more I speak, the more I will be slowing us down. Can we pray? And then we'll jump in. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here today, and uh, this is a special day. We know that, Father, you're rejoicing, all of heaven is rejoicing, and we just want to take a few minutes to share how you led in Marin's life, and that we all can be witnesses to know that that promise you made, that everyone would have an opportunity to hear this, this story of you giving up, willing to give up your own existence to save us. And I just thank you that all these years later, there are still some who hear that voice. And we just praise you for Marin's testimony today and and the fact that he's going to be baptized today too. Uh, May this be a blessing to us and may we be a blessing to him. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I don't know how to preface it, but more than uh, I got this email a few months ago from Marin. And he begins to share some things about his journey. And I quickly reach out to him and start to pick his brain. And he shares some of his testimony. And I thought, man, what a testimony. But I don't want to ruin it. Let's just start at the beginning. Like this journey for you, tell us a little about who you are, some of your background. And then I'll jump in when when and maybe if needed. Sure. So my name is Mehran Ebedalahi. Hold it close. I was was born in Iran in, in 1982. Shortly after that, my family fled. My mom's side is Jewish. My dad's side is Muslim. And so post-revolution, really life became uh, untenable there, mostly because of religion. And so uh, you can imagine the, the house that I grew up in, in Southern California, you know, very anti-organized religion, which I think, you know, is one of the reasons my parents even got married, right? Because, you know, that was not really uh, acceptable, particularly in their time, right, which was in the, the mid-70s. So that was the house that I, I grew up in, you know, no religion, no no real God. I would randomly go to temple with, with my mom's side of the family for, for various life events, funerals and bar mitzvahs and stuff like that. But you know, it never really resonated with me. I found that the hypocrisy of some of the, the the rabbis to just rub me the wrong way. And, you know, I, I just stayed away from it. Um, even though a lot of people would always say, you know, if you go and become part of temple, you, you'll get ahead faster and, you know, life will be easier. I, I had always just avoided it. It didn't speak to me. I was a man of science. I grew up a man of science. I firmly believed in science, um, still believe in some science. But, you know, I went to UCLA for undergrad. Uh, I wanted to be a philosophy major. I took a philosophy class and it convinced me not to be a philosophy major. More, it just, it, I just found it to be just a lot of like that final exam. I'm used to like two plus two is four, right? Let's, do an equation where we know the answer. And it was just a lot of talking, you know, and 
not sure how correct any of it was. So I ended up being business economics. I had, you know, bought into finance and the beauties of going into finance. But when I graduated, you know, it was post 9-11. I'm sure my my name didn't help. I, it was really hard for me to get a job anywhere. Um, I had a 4.0 at UCLA, but it didn't make any difference. And so, you know, I had always had a dream to go to business school, similar to Jared. I have, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and so I thought, you know, I had saved a ton of money going to undergrad at UCLA. Why not try to shoot for, you know, one of these prestigious IVs for graduate school, get a network that will help me in my career journeys. Um, and that's really where the idea to go to law school came from because I couldn't get into business school without having a job. So I thought, why don't I try to get into law school and then apply for the joint program while I'm there? You know, I started my, my LSAT journey, which continues today because it's still what I do for a, a living. Um, but I was able to get a really high score and I got accepted to Harvard Law School uh, where I graduated in, in 2010. Nothing changed during this time. I was, you know, still very anti-religion. I was one of those people, my friends who, particularly those that were with me at uh, my time in Harvard, you know, there would always be the street preachers in the squares and I would be that person to go and argue with them. I was firmly against uh, all of the the, the ideas. Um, and, you know, I can also point this out too, which, you know, when you look back, it's to me, it, you know, when Jesus says, I am with you always, he's not lying. When I was a freshman at UCLA, my roommate was adamant and we would argue all the time about it, how Jesus had sent him there to convert me to Christianity. Um, and you can imagine how that would resonate with me at that age. It was, I thought he had lost his mind um, and I would convey that to him. <laughs> and so... But I always had this, I had a, always had a morbid fear of death. Like I, as a child, I remember before I would fall asleep wondering, like, if I die, what's going to happen to my stuffed animals? Who's going to take care of them? Um, and always had this burning desire to find the meaning of this existence, right? Is this really just a random chance occurrence, right? Where, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard the story that it's infinite possibility that a man named Jared and a man named Maron are having this exact same conversation somewhere else in the universe, right? Is that really the the truth of our existence or is there something else there? And so, you know, avid conspiracy theorists, just I've always felt that truth is absolute. And if you look for it long enough, you'll find it. And so I would go down every rabbit hole you can imagine. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, I, I gave up on Big Bang. I would say I read Neil deGrasse Tyson's uh, Astrophysics uh, for People in a Hurry. And the, the opening quote of the book is, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. And as I read the book, I thought, you know, that's a really good quote that they have to start it because none of this makes any sense. Um, <laughs> and so... But I had started to, you know, when I moved away from Big Bang, I started to, you know, consider the possibility of higher being, right? And so that's really where I was, where like the beginning of my, my testimony actually started. So uh, my, my beautiful wife, Allison, back there with uh, our, our two children, when she was pregnant with our first son, Jasper, you know, I went down some other rabbit holes about health and stuff. And, you know, be, I think becoming a father, fear really overwhelmed me. You know, just thinking through how to navigate this world with children, right? With yourself, it's different. 
And so, you know, he was born in December 2017, and October was the, the famous Las Vegas shooting, which still doesn't make any sense to me, but I, I won't go into that. But, you know, as part of these rabbit holes, I had encountered Freemasonry. I feel it's hard to not encounter them when you go down any of them, but it was very prevalent to me, and so I was quite intrigued by it. I think mostly from a fear perspective of maybe I should become one, and that will help protect my family as I move into fatherhood, really, right? And so right around the time Jasper was being born, again, this was December 2017, I had uh, told one of my really good friends, childhood friends, who, who's a Christian, his wife is Christian, I'm thinking about becoming a Freemason. And he got so upset with me. He's like, are you crazy? Like, they worship Satan. And I'm like thinking, like, what does that even mean? They worship Satan, right? Um, but he was so adamant that I put it off. I, I said, you know what? I, I, let me keep looking before I, I make that decision. And you know, I kept kept reading. And you know, the one other thing that I noticed in my my research was all these intellectuals, these minds that you know society holds so high, all had this common background. Whether it was Thomas Paine or Benjamin Franklin. Jefferson, Lafayette, I mean, you look back in, in history, and even currently, you see it, it's a very common thread with intellectuals. And so, on part of my journey to find the meaning of life, I thought maybe there's something there that as you progress, they reveal something to you that might help answer that question. So, fast forward basically two years, this was uh, end of 2018, oh, so just a year actually, um, I decided to do it. I said, I'm going to go become a Freemason. And it's funny because when I was uh, uh, with my company early on, we had a shared space for startup companies. So there was a bunch of companies in one location. And I found that the closest Freemasonic Lodge to me was actually directly above where I used to work. I had never made that connection while I was there. I mean, I would always see, you know, on Thursday nights, Iranian guys would show up dressed in three-piece suits. And I would, it was strange to me, but I never connected the dots until later I realized that's where the, the Grand Lodge of Iran is in exile. And that's the night that they meet. And so I, I got up and I went to one of their open dinners and uh, an older Iranian gentleman took me under his wing. I applied and I was accepted. This was in January of 2019. But my initiation was set for April 10th. 2019, so two years ago today. And in between that time of being accepted and my uh, initiation, uh, our apartment in Venice, uh, we used to live in Venice Beach, California, was overrun by flies in a way that I felt it was like a curse. I had never seen flies like that in my life. And I remember the landlord came and he went under into the laundry room to try to figure out how are there flies coming out of the floorboards, right? Because it was surreal. You know, I, I, I remember thinking it felt like a curse, but then again, where I was, what's a curse, right? What does that even mean? Now that I've read the Bible, I totally understand what was happening. Um, so we fast forward to the night of my, my initiation. And, you know, the, one of the things that happens is you, you walk into the temple, they ask you to, to pray, uh, kneel and pray, and then they ask you, in whom do you put your trust? And I paused at the question because I had encountered the theory of they worship saints, so I wasn't actually quite sure how I was supposed to respond, right? 
And so I'm pausing and I'm pausing and then I'm thinking, this is really awkward. I should answer. And so I say God, but I said God like in Zoolander where Ben Stiller's dad calls him and he picks up the phone. He's like, God, like with a, you know, a, a heavy hint of question, right? And I remember thinking, I wonder if anybody noticed that that's how I answered the question. Whatever. So I go through, I, I, I become a first degree, but that night was very important to me. And as I, as I look back in hindsight, despite the things that I experienced, I would never change it because when I, I became a Freemason is when they handed me the King James version of the Bible. They teach out of that book. And so that was the first time anybody had placed it into my hands. And so, you know, that, that night ended and my wife at that point was, uh, 28 weeks pregnant with our second child, which was going to be a daughter, Rumi. And 20 days after my initiation, we're in the hospital uh, with a stillbirth. And I never really had a relationship with God, but that was the first time that I had anger towards God, right? You know, I had experienced a lot of tragedy in my life, but particularly for my wife, it was... um, it was really hard. Um, and I remember the doctor saying, you know, I've never seen anything like this. They couldn't explain it, right? They had no explanation for what happened. You know, she had gone to the doctor on Thursday and everything was fine. Um, Monday night, we're in the hospital and yeah. Um, and so um, while I was at the hospital, the same friend uh, that told me not to become a Freemason uh, shows up, he was uh, the, the second person there. And he pulled me aside and he said to me, you know, I'm going to say something to you. And you're going to look at me like I'm crazy and you're probably not going to believe it. But I promise you something better will come of this moment. And he was right. I was like, what is this guy talking about? Right? Like, how could something better come of this? Um, but he did. And that was something he was really adamant about with me. And so, you know, life goes on. Uh, I had, uh, I, I was progressing in Freemasonry very rapidly. It's all memorization. So it was not hard for me to ascend the ranks. And I, you know, I eventually become a master Mason. But also in between that time, what happens is as we try to, you know, have another child, we get the news that my wife won't get pregnant again, basically. They were saying she was premenopausal. Her hormone levels were at a point where we would be lucky if we could get an egg and maybe do in vitro. And so dealing with that, that as well, I was actually in Iran for my first time back ever when we got that news. It was my best friend's wedding and I had gone back for that and, and I had them sacrifice a goat. I went to, I even went to the mosque and, and I, don't, I don't know who I was praying to, but I was praying, hoping that you know, that would not be the end of the story. And so after you become a master mason, you can become an officer of the lodge, which, you know, as someone who's a fan of leadership, I thought, why not get in line to become the master? You look at Harry Truman has this quote that always resonated with me. He was the president of the United States of America, but he says that the greatest honor ever bestowed on him was when he became the grand master of his lodge in I want to say it was in Kansas City or, or Missouri or something. And so I'm a big fan of leadership and I thought, you know, this might help me become a better leader. So why not? So I decided to get in line. I was the, the junior steward, uh, which is the lowest one. 
Um, and they have a kind of initiation ceremony where you can invite people um, and they install you as a, an officer. And that night, while I was being installed as an officer, my dad somehow falls at home and fractures his shoulder. Then two and a half weeks later, I'm at the lodge again, and my mom falls and they think she broke her hip. And so at this point, I'm starting to really feel like there's something about being at the lodge that isn't for me. And thankfully, around this time, coronavirus happens and the lodge is shut down anyway, so I didn't have to attend anymore without even saying anything. And then so the other thing that that was happening around this time so while I was a, obviously a complete atheist growing up, there was one period of my life where I would pray without fail. And that was any time I would board an airplane. Um, that was like my morbid fear of death was dying in a plane crash. This idea of like you're living, you're living, and then everything's black, right? And so, yeah, without fail, any time I would get on an airplane my whole life, I would, and it took me a while to get on an airplane. So um, I think the first time was when I was going to study abroad in college. So I was about, you know, 20 years old, but from that point, and then obviously with work, I was flying a lot. And so it was always a thing that would happen for me. Again, not sure who I was praying to, but I would pray. And then, so in, it was what, January of 2019, Kobe dies in the, in the plane crash, which I was not a Kobe fan. You know, I was actually, a, you know, my idol worship was Michael Jordan and growing up in Los Angeles around Kobe fans, you can imagine how I felt about Kobe Bryant. I was not a fan of him. But the way that he died really bothered me because that was something that I was so deathly afraid of. And to die like that with his daughter, I woke up a few nights from nightmares thinking about it. So, you know, again, I, I feel like that the thoughts of what happens when you die were, were very prevalent. Uh, and during this whole period, I'm obviously reading the Bible, going to the the coaching sessions of Freemasonry, but nothing is making sense, right? I, I figured there's one of two things. One, I'm I'm not far enough far enough along for them to reveal the the actual truth, or two, this is something completely different from how it's presented, right? And then so I'm I'm reading the Bible, you know, even when, you know, Freemasonry shuts down, still reading the Bible, really trying to understand it, not really getting anything from it. And then that same friend of mine randomly texts me a What's Up Prof episode from Walter Weith and uh, his, his friend. It was episode 15, if anybody cares to see which one it was. That, And I'm watching this episode. And Walter, I was just in awe of him. His, I was like, this guy believes everything I believe, except that I don't have the Jesus part, right? But everything else he was saying was completely resonating with me. And then so I, I'm checking out another one of his videos, and he mentions the rabbinic curse, which is part of the, the Talmud where it basically says that if you go and try to place the time of Daniel 9, 24 to 9, 27, may your memory rot off the face of the planet forever. Which, as someone who grew up around Jewish people, I found that to be so strange because why would there be a curse on me as a Jew to go read the book and try to understand the book where all of our beliefs come from, right? So I grabbed my Bible and I'm opening 9, 24 to 9, 27, trying to understand why that would be present. And that was the first time... I encountered the idea of prophecy, right? 
I had always had this conception that somebody wrote the Bible after the fact. But when you read Daniel 9, 24 and 9, 27, you see that not only is it prophetic, it's prophetic with a level of detail that is quite unique to say the least. And so at that point, I'm looking at the Bible very differently for the first time. Still not, you know, I, you know, not sure why it's prophetic, right? But there's something about this book that I should keep spending time on. And then what happens with my wife is that, you know, we're going to the fertility specialists, you know, it's not working. They try to take an egg out. They get one egg, they freeze it. Then they tried to get more, it didn't work. And it was taking much longer than we were hoping. And we switched because this was pre-coronavirus. So driving around in Los Angeles was a nightmare. I switched from a Beverly Hills uh, fertility specialist to one in Santa Monica. And I remember uh, sitting in front of her and she had said there were some issues with my sperm. So I had to take some supplements. And before we got my sperm perfect, it wasn't going to happen. So I, I asked her, I said, during this waiting period, should we keep trying naturally? And she basically scoffed at the notion. Right? Like, sure, feel free, but it's like, good luck right, with that. But it was during that pause in between doctors where nobody was messing with her or giving her any hormones or whatever the stuff that they do is when my wife got pregnant naturally with our second son, Aries. And... I remember saying to my wife when we found out, so first, you know, something that morning gave me the idea to tell her to take a pregnancy test. And you have to realize that as someone watching your wife go through months of pregnancy tests that are negative and seeing her get distraught every time, it was a strange thing for me to suggest on my own, right? And she took it, thought it was negative, throws it on the counter, walks out. And I'm hanging back thinking I'm, I see a line, right? But I don't want to say anything because the last thing I want to do is get her hopes up after she's already down and then have it go down again. But I'm adamant that there's a line there. So I'm, I'm hanging back. I'm staring at it. And at a certain point, you can't ignore the line. So I, I call her in and I'm saying, there's a line here. And she takes like six more pregnancy tests, goes, buys 12 more. Um, <laughs> She goes to the doctor the next day and she's pregnant, right? And I remember saying, I was joking, but I remember saying to her, we should name the baby Jesus. This is a miracle. Like, (laughs) it's a a miracle. Uh, Like, everybody was saying you weren't going to get pregnant and you're pregnant, right? And so, you know, you, you know, obviously these things were happening. I still wasn't connecting the dots. And, you know, I was sitting there on uh, August 23rd um, of, of 2020 reading my Bible Kobe's birthday, my, my sister-in-law's birthday too, who's, who's out, out there. Uh, and when they talk about divine revelation, like I can't even really explain it, but it all hit me at the same time where what I had gone through made so much sense. I was actually standing in front of Rumi's urn crying hysterically because I know myself, right? I, my whole life, I blasphemed, I ignored, right? But he still had mercy on me with, with Aries, right? Because that was the moment that brought me back where, you know, and the name is, is not an accident. I, I, I named him Aries because while he was in, in Ali's stomach, there was a war for my soul. And 
thankfully God is the one that prevailed because, yeah. And so that's, that's my story. And then, you know, just fast forwarding a little bit, um, you know, obviously when, when that stuff hit me, I felt so much more at ease about the pregnancy because, you know, the, you know, going through what we went through with Rumi, you know, you're on pins and needles the whole time throughout, but obviously, you know, if God blessed me with his child, why would he then take the child? Right. So feeling a lot better about it, but then Ali starts to have contractions and my, my nerves get the best of me. And so I take us to the hospital way before we should have been there. And as we pull up to the, to the valet, Allie gets out of her side and I hear her say to the valet driver, is that really your name? And I, and I walk around the car and I look and his name tag says Jesus. And I can't explain how much of a calm came over me as I walked into the hospital. And then Ares is born on, on October 11th of, of 2020, which is the same day the Lakers won the championship. So the entire city is screaming for Kobe that day, right? And I know that part is, you know, um, it seems out of place, but I can't really explain it, especially how I felt when he died, that to that have that happen as well. And then also when I was in the hospital the, the first day he was born, it was the first time I got to that part of Luke about the, the parable of the man with two sons, which obviously really resonated with me as, as well. And yeah, I've been on this journey um, tried to go to Seventh-day Adventist Church in Santa Monica. Oh, so I should say, the one thing that I noticed right away, which I think made it very easy for me to have such a radically different opinion about the world was when I found God, my perception of organized religion didn't change. One with the rabbinic curse in the Talmud, right, where they're, they're clearly hiding the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. But then one of the first things I thought when I found God was what is going on with Sunday, right? I don't, I can't find anything in the book that says anything about Sunday being the day. And I think, you know, it's no coincidences that one of my first interactions was Walter Reith. So I'm, I'm looking for Seventh-day Adventist church. Oh, the other thing I should say, actually, I should talk about my scar. Yeah. So, so I find God on, on Sunday and so that Saturday coming up is my first Sabbath. I'm not going to work for God. This is no question about it. I'm really excited about it too. And Jasper was supposed to take a nap. And he calls me into his room because there's a fly on his window. And I'm trying to get him to sleep quickly. So I, instead of going and getting a napkin like an ordinary person, I decide, you know what, I'm going to just use the palm of my hand and kill the fly on the window, which I had done a, a number of times in the past. But this time I go straight through the window and I leave a really nice gag. Like it was deep and, but it was strange because I didn't feel any pain from it. And, you know, my, my really good friends, older brother's an orthopedic surgeon. So I called him, I'm sending him photos. I'm like, do I need to go to the hospital? He says, if you don't care about the scar, you'll be fine. And so this is a reminder for me always of, of my first Sabbath. And yeah. Um, but then obviously when I went to the churches in Santa Monica, they were all closed for coronavirus, no online sermons. You try to go to their website, nothing was happening. So I randomly decided to go into Apple Podcasts and type in Seventh-day Adventist. And I found Jared, who has been my remote pastor. Um, 
throughout this entire period. And, you know, when I decided to get baptized, I didn't want just anybody to do it. And me and my wife have uh, subsequently decided to flee Los Angeles because it's a disaster zone. And we're looking around in, in the southeast in terms of where we want to post up. So we've been on the road now since mid-February looking at all these different places. And so I was in touch with Jared saying, I'm going to be in the area. And so that is what brought me here today. And uh, yeah, that's my, that's my story. I don't really know what to add to it. It's such a powerful story. But I think you're still looking for that roommate from UCLA, right? Oh, I am still looking for him, yes. Uh, UCLA is very useless in terms of helping you find people that you might have lived with. Um, and he had a very common name, which makes social media very difficult to stalk as well. But I'm on. I, I cannot wait to tell him because I can only imagine what he will think when he hears that I have found Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I think you told me, because, you know, you never know where somebody's at in the journey. But as you can tell from Aaron, he's one of those guys who's he's all in. So as we were talking, then he starts to tell me about this library of books he's purchased. Um, tell us a little more about that. So, yeah. So uh, me and my wife decided to give up uh, television in, in 2017, right before Jasper was being born. And so that, you know, when you don't have TV, you fill your time with other things. And so books. And so... It started with all the occult writers. And that's the one thing I can say, too. You know, I didn't really see, other than my personal experiences, the Satan side of Freemasonry. But when you read their writings or you read stuff like Thomas Paine when you come to the Revelation, right, you see that there's a consistent theme in all of these authors that it's really just designed to move you from the truth, right? And as someone who went to, you could argue, some of the best educational institutions in the world, I learned absolutely nothing while I was there, which is crazy. It's crazy to me to, to think that. But yeah, so now, since finding uh, Jesus, I've been uh, getting a lot of the uh, other writers. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the Reformers. Like, I, I got Martin Luther's uh, notes on Genesis, the whole set, um, which is it's the craziest volume to just be based off of one part of the Bible. And then Ellen G. White, uh, I, I'm a big fan of her writings, obviously. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I still I still go back and forth. Like, I just got a first edition propaganda, which I just find will be interesting from what we experience every day. And so, yeah, I have quite the collection. If I'm ever in the area, you'll be all more than welcome to come look at it. I actually got a first edition Annals of Time, too. James Usher, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's his, the history of the world, but from the biblical perspective. And yeah, I'm excited about that one. So I, just a couple of questions. Yeah, sure. Percolating my brain. Uh, what would you say is the hardest thing about someone, Harvard Law School grad, extremely successful entrepreneur, and you're now, you got these, this fire in your bones to share with other people. What do you feel the barrier is reaching people of such education, wealth? Like you're... One of them. Just tell me about some of that. Yeah, I would say the thing that I found uh, to be the most difficult thing to overcome is the, the pride and arrogance, which I feel like for myself, I never had that. My, my father always instilled in me as a young child to never believe something because somebody says it to you, right? So I would always have this critical lens of the world. And I feel a lot of people don't have that anymore. I think it's been 
intentionally taken out of humans through the education system because you don't want people sitting around questioning things. You'd rather have them watching sports, right? But, you know, that's the one thing because, you know, my family is, is, is my mom's side, it, it, you, it's hard to find more educated people. But, it, you know, it just reminds me of the scripture where it says ever, ever learning but incapable of arriving at the truth, right? I think getting people, and my hope is that people that know me from a, you know, long period of time know who I am and that I don't just gravitate towards something unless there's a reason. And I think as many people say, there should be a really good reason to pick becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, right? If you believe prophecy and stuff, right? I mean, so my hope is that that will resonate with them, that there's something here. But I find overcoming that, that hubris of I already know there's no way God can be real. Science has disproven God, right? Those are the things that I think are, are challenging. They, a, lot of, a lot of intellectuals associate Christianity with low educated people, you know, and I, and I think, you know, the Bible says that you, you hide it from the wise, but you reveal it to babes, right? Because there's something about being open to the notion that you have no idea what you're talking about that I think makes a difference. And that is where I, I tell people you should start from the premise that everything you think is false and try to disprove it and it won't work. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, from our dinner the other night, coincidence doesn't seem like a, a word in your vocabulary. Oh, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't believe in coincidence. That's why when I, I saw, uh, met Julian, her, her husband Wyatt, we randomly walking at the hotel that we're staying at. I said we should invite him to come over here on Saturday. Yeah, I'm, uh, the Lord, words cannot express his grace and mercy and how he operates. And, you know, when I talk about the re- getting to that chapter in Luke when I was in the hospital when Ares was born, when he says, I am no longer worthy to be called his son, I will go to him and say, make me as your humble servant. And he says, you know, he gets up, but when he was still a far way off, his father falls on his neck and starts to kiss him. And that's how I feel that my whole life I've been looking for the answer and to have found it because he revealed it to me, the least I can do is preach the gospel to every single person that I encounter. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm hopeful that I will be retired from my current profession very shortly. And have a lot of free time to spend talking. Co-pastoring here. Yes. <laughs> yes, sure. If, if I'm in the area, which it's possible, yeah. Right. yeah. Okay, I'm so, a big fan of Georgia. This is my favorite place that I've been so far. Yeah. yeah I'm not just saying that, I promise you. <laughs> All right, so before we're done, you get to do something now that really few people ever get to do. I want to hear your thoughts to encourage. There's a lot of Seventh-day Adventists here in the room. What would you tell them now that you've been on this journey, you've found something, you're like, I like this. This will make sense. I want to be, I love, anyway, you get my point. What would you tell people who've, maybe they've just recently joined the faith. Maybe they have been in it for a while. This is your sermon time. Preach away. So as someone who never got there from faith, the part where James, they tell James, you know, Jesus rose and he says, I won't believe it until I see it. And then, you know, Jesus says to James, 
you believe because you saw, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. That was not me. And I went face to face with the other side of the equation and I, I experienced the consequences of those decisions, right? But again, Job really resonates with me, right? Happy is the man that God corrected. I would never change it for the world. I would go through the same thing every time because it got me here. And I know, you know, with some of my friends who are Christians who haven't had the same experience that I've had, sometimes your faith wavers. But I assure you that you should never let that happen. Now, that doesn't mean life will be easy, right? It's, as it says, he that endureth to the end, right? Not him that Netflix and chills to the end. So, uh, but I, I hope that my, my journey really instills that God is real and he loves us so much and his grace and mercy can't be expressed and just, you know, when they call, talk about sanctification by faith, I mean, that's how I feel. Like my entire life has started to change because I just look at what he has done for me. And it wasn't like my life was bad before, right? As you say, I was very quote unquote successful, right? By any objective measure, but it's just so different. Yeah. And so that I hope will resonate with everybody here, particularly the young kids who I can only imagine as someone who was never in church growing up through the world, what it would be like to not fall away as you are constantly exposed to Satan's amazing plan that he has for us because it's everywhere and you can't ignore it. And that's the, that's the other thing that I think it's the only story that I've encountered that actually explains our world and quite well. Yeah. Almost perfectly. (laughs) All right. Before we have our, our song, would you close us with prayer? Sure. Yeah, of course. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for guiding me here and helping me find Jared and his church and giving me the opportunity to share my testimony uh, with everyone today. I am so grateful for, for everything you have done, and I am looking forward to where this journey will take me next. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen. Amen. So grateful to be here and to just hear that you never give up on us that you're always in pursuit of us. Help us to just be willing enough to share that story with others, people in our lives that just need to be encouraged and inspired. And I just thank you so much that Marin, Ali, and their family have been able to encourage us today. We thank you for such a high Sabbath, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I know many were encouraged. Please stay for lunch, and then we're going to go just a mile down the road rain or shine to a pool at the Gomez home and celebrate a baptism with Mary. All right. So baptism is just a way to show everyone else like, Hey, this has been in me. I want you guys to know it. And uh, not just those of us here, but you know, heaven and uh, everyone is smiling upon this occasion. So I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Thank you for the privilege. Of course. I'm so happy to see you. (laughs) Absolutely. So. It has been a pleasure to see his testimony today. Yes. Like to me, like it's been so encouraging that Jesus never gives up on us. That he's relentlessly pursuing us even before we know it. So I'm grateful. So it is with a huge amount of privilege that everyone's here and that I get to baptize you.
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Here we go. Amen. I want to pray with my brother. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege to show everyone here and to you and all the angels and all the unfallen worlds that uh, you have won a son today. Amen. You've been working on him a long time, and we're so honored to be a part of this. Amen. And I just pray that you will be with him, guide him, bless him in a greater way than ever before. May he be the greatest blessing to his family and his friends, that you can use him to do things that no one else could ever do but him. And we just thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.